Now, in all, there were 11 of us that day. Our family had gone to visit my dad's family and other people back home, and we decided to go out to eat lunch one day at one of their favorite restaurants. And uh, this is what I experienced. The waiter from the place that doesn't produce very good waiters. Boy, talk about an experience. There we were, all gathered there, and I think we waited at least about ten minutes before our waiter finally came to us to take our drink order. And I know I'm pretty weird, the kids tell me. I always get a glass of ice water and iced tea. I like to have both of them there, and everybody else ordered everything they wanted. And about ten minutes later, here comes the waiter with all of our drinks. Now, I didn't get my ice water or my iced tea. I got a Sprite, I think it was which was okay compared to some other people because they got their drink on their lap that day. It was bad. It was bad. And so finally we get all the drink orders right, and we wait another five or ten minutes for the waiter to come back with the right drinks and then to take our orders to eat. So we all give our orders and everything, and I had whatever it was I was going to have. And so then... We waited some more, however long it takes to cook food for 11 people, plus two or three or whatever. So we waited again. Well, as you might expect, I didn't get what I ordered. Most people didn't get exactly what they ordered. So we kind of shifted and we kind of made do with what we have. But then we realized that the kids, the younger kids, the smaller ones, decided that they were going to sit in the booth next to us. And we told the waiter about that, but he never got their order. So here we are with all of our food, and the kids are like, y'all really didn't get us nothing to eat? (laughs) Got their order. Came in finally, and I think after about an hour and a half to two hours, we had finally got our food and was ready to go. Now... Needless to say, I don't think I've ever been back to that place again. And I think about that experience quite often. And in particular, I think about that experience when I read or remember Psalm 51. Because I think the psalm is written by someone like our waiter that day who really messed up. Our waiter really messed things up. Now, I'm also going to suggest that I think whoever wrote the psalm really messed up a little more than our waiter did. But the point is, this was somebody who messed up, and apparently somebody who messed up big time. Now, tradition has told us that whenever we read Psalm 51, we're supposed to think about the story of David. David and Bathsheba, and David and Bathsheba and her husband. You remember that story, maybe, right? That that, uh, that happened, and out of response to that, when David realized what he had done wrong, he wrote Psalm 51. That's the traditional line. I will tell you, in recent years, many people have come to realize or to conclude that perhaps David didn't write this at all, and there is no association between what happened with David, David and Bathsheba. What I'll give to you is for you to go home and go look that up, and you can read more about that, and you can make up your own mind about whether you think it has to do with David or not. But for now, for today, I think it's going to be helpful for us to consider that David, King David, didn't write this psalm. And here's why. 
I think most good church folk know David's story, right? They know about the king sitting out top of his palace one night, looking over the city and seeing a lady taking a bath on her roof. Now, that sounds weird to us, right? Because a lady, ladies don't usually take baths on her roof, right? And that kind of sounds weird, but that's probably appropriate for them. It's also funny that she's taking her bath and her name is what? I love it. But King David sees his lady taking a bath and he says, I want her. Well, King David, she's already married. Doesn't matter. Because what the king wants, the king gets. And so he takes her. Some would say even more than adultery, he actually rapes her because of his power and position, which she has nothing of. And then to cover up the scandal as as the story goes on, King David kills her husband, right? You remember this story. And the problem with that, though, most good church folk hear that and they say, "Mm, King David, that boy was bad. But in the process, we sort of distance ourselves because, well, we're no King David. We don't watch people bathing on top of their roofs or anything like that. Most of us haven't killed anybody. So we sort of distance ourselves and just say, man, that King David, he's something else. I'm glad I'm not like him at all. So what I want you to do, instead of thinking that King David wrote it, think that somebody wrote this psalm who is just like you. Okay? Somebody just like you wrote Psalm 51, because the reality is, right, we all mess up, don't we? Now, granted, some of our mess-ups aren't as bad as some of our other mess-ups, or some of our mess-ups aren't as bad as somebody else's mess-up, but we all messed up. And some of our mess-ups are just plain messed up. Now, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but you know who you are. We all mess up, isn't that right? But the question for us, as people who say they believe in God, I don't think you would be here this morning if you didn't either say, I believe in God, or I love God, or I follow God. So as people who say they believe, love, and or follow God, the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we respond to those mess-ups? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that Psalm 51 is a way for us to respond to those mess-ups. And that's not new. I'm not presenting anything new. That is what the church has traditionally done. The church has loved Psalm 51, has used Psalm 51 in great ways for generation after generation. But today, before we look at Psalm 51 as our response to those mess-ups, to those sin, to that sin we have in our life, I think we need to ask ourselves and be clear of, Still, what is sin? And the common illustration that you find for sin has to do with a bullseye. Have you heard that demonstration? So think of it this way if you haven't. Put your mind back here, right? See, right now you're looking at a beautiful stained glass window. But pretend instead of a stained glass window, this is actually a a, a target. And right in the middle of the target is a bullseye. You see it? Big red bullseye, you've seen it before. And your job, wherever you are, is to take your little arrow and hit that bullseye. Now, let's be honest. 
How many of you are going to hit that bullseye from where you are right now? And you might try to move around and everything, but chances are you're not going to hit that bullseye. Now, you might get close. You might get around it. You might accidentally hit the dove or hit the bread on the bottom. But then some of us, hello, we're going to hit Jesus over there, aren't we? See those, see those pictures, the, the, the red spots in his hands and his rib cage there? We're going to hit him there, aren't we? And that'll preach right there. But you get the point that trying to hit that mark is what we're trying to do. But we realize here in that, that red circle, that bullseye, represents what God expects and what God wants from us. And that every time we miss that bullseye, we miss the mark of what God expects and wants from us. Does that sound right? So you can think about how hard it is to miss that. And you think, man, I just missed the mark. And quite literally, and quite commonly, that is what we say sin is. Missing the mark of God. The problem, not the problem, but one of the issues we have with that is somebody can be sitting where you are and say, that's impossible to do. Who could ever hit that? from where I'm at. Nobody could ever do that. Nobody's perfect. What I want to tell you is, one, I'll just give you a self-confession, just get it off my chest. I hate when people tell me, eh, nobody's perfect. I hate that. Because that's a line from a movie. You know that? And we just sort of digest that and we sort of made it true. Nobody's perfect. Nothing I can do about it. But I want you to think that not only is sin just missing the mark because we're incapable of doing it because of who and what we are. I also want you to keep in your mind to remember that quite often our sin is represented in our search for joy or satisfaction or peace or purpose or meaning. And wherever that search takes us in all the other places other than God. In other words, we're all on a search for joy and peace and meaning. And those times that we go and look for that in, other, in places other than God, pretty sure you're, you're bound to find your sin there. So people look for security in their jobs or in the stock market or in the lotto. And we realize that how easily those things can let us down. And the problem with that is sometimes we'll, that we'll put our trust in those things and we'll work for those things. We'll work for the better job, which means we've got to work 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week to the neglect of everything else around us. And we'll put all our money in the lotto thinking this is it. That dollar or two we told somebody else we couldn't spare them. Or you think about people who always find themselves in these messed up relationships. We're all searching for love and meaning, companionship, and quite often people look, go looking for love in the wrong places, as somebody once told us, right? Or we look for security, or we look for peace, but we find it in a bottle that only destroys our life. Y'all with me? Quite often our sin is not just because we can't do it, but because of choices that we make. 
choices that we make that take us further away from God. And I know that that almost kind of trivializes some of the sin that we deal with. But we realize that somewhere along the line, a choice was made. Somewhere along the line, a choice was made by someone who thought it'd be okay for him to hurt his spouse with his hands. Somewhere along the line, someone thought it was okay to verbally abuse their children or for the child to verbally abuse the parents. Somewhere along the line, there was a choice there. It's a choice there that we make to always suspect someone who's wearing a hoodie. It's a choice people make to always do whatever they got to do to get ahead and to always be able to have more. We realize that sin in that way isn't always the natural part. It's the choices that we make that lead us to those places, looking for the things that only God can give us. Y'all with me? Now, if you've got life together, and if you've got your messed up stuff together, feel free to have a donut in the back or go to the restroom or go clean my office or something. But for those of you who are trying to make sense of the mess-ups in your life, I want you to consider the power of the words of Psalm 51. That Psalm 51 is a faithful response to all of the mess-ups we have had and all of the mess-ups that we will have. And the first thing we realize about Psalm 51 is that the psalm begins with God's mercy, who God is. Have mercy on me, O God, is how the psalm begins. So whatever it is that the writer's going through, realizes it's time to make things right. Instead of talking about how bad he or she has been or whatever, they start with God. Now the problem with that is that some people, many people, have an idea of God that I think is so damaging, and even unfaithful. That many people view God as the judge just waiting to throw the book at all of us. To be sure, friends, God is the judge. We're told that. And to be sure also, God has already thrown a book at us. Hmm? It's this book right here. Now, what this book tells us, though, is that God is not what you might have thought. That God is, in fact, love. And that's where the psalmist begins. Have mercy on me, he writes, according to your steadfast love and abundant mercy. The psalmist understood exactly who God was. And that's where the psalmist began. Y'all with me? But we don't stop there. We recognize who God is. God is love. Steadfast love. Abundant mercy God has. But then the psalmist realized that there is a need for repentance. And I think that's a word that we hear a lot, but that we don't quite totally get what it means to repent. What it really means to repent is to turn away from whatever it is that we have done. Where if I am facing you 
and you are that thing that I've done wrong. To repent means to turn away from it, to go another way. And what we realize when we turn away, we are actually turning back to God. And realize this isn't just telling God, oops, sorry, God, my bad. I'll do better next time, I promise. See, that's what we do with each other, don't we? Oh, you caught me. Okay, let me just take it and I'll be done with it. That's not repentance. Listen to the words of Psalm 51. You can certainly read it, but you can almost feel the sincerity of these words. My sin is ever before me, he writes. I don't know what he did. Or what he didn't do. I don't know if there's maybe a multitude of sins that the psalmist did. And I don't know if it's sins that the psalmist did once. Or if it's sin that the psalmist has done every day of his adult life. Who knows? But whatever it was. psalmist realizes, I need something new. My sin is ever before me. It's bad and I know it. And there's even the strong sense, and he says it, that the sin has taken away the joy that I was supposed to have. In our repentance, we do need to be honest. We do need to be honest with ourselves and with God about what it is we've done. The psalmist says, against you alone have I sinned. And we can kind of read that and think, well, yeah, I've only sinned against God and I haven't done anything to you. But we've got to realize also and be honest that our sin quite often affects other people. That quite often our sin is against other people. And you may remember Jesus saying once, whatever you do to the least of these, you also do it to. So that our sin, you know when you lie about someone? Gossip about someone? yell at someone, hurt someone. You're doing that against them. But God also says to you, whatever you do to them, you've done it to me. And the psalmist realizes that, that beyond, this isn't just a slip of the word that I had with you. It's not just a bad idea I had about you. It's about hurting God. That is what I have done. Maybe you haven't thought of it that way. But God loves us all the same, and so when we sin against each other, we have to realize that we are sinning against God. And the third thing we can take from Psalm 51 that helps us respond to all these mess-ups is to understand that it's going to take the Spirit of God to make a new creation. I mean, let's be honest you know how stubborn you are? You know how set in your ways you are? And you know, and almost everybody else knows, how right you think you are too. And if there's ever going to be a new creation in us, it has to come by the Spirit and the power of God. Friends, what I want to remind you this morning is that God wants to create a new heart in all of us. 
But it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. When we read Psalm 51, we hear that word create, spirit, and automatically we realize those are the same words that God used in Genesis 1 when the Spirit of God helped create the formless void that was there into a wonderful and beautiful and purposeful creation. Only the Spirit of God can turn your mess into blessing. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Quite often what we see is that many of us try to do it on our own. And guess what ends up happening? That's a choice we make that quite often will take us further and further and further away from that big red dot. Only the Spirit of God can renew us. Only the Spirit of God can create in us a new heart. Now, as a consumer, my power comes and came that day at the restaurant when the ticket came around and it came time to pay. Because if you give me bad service, I'm going to give you a bad tip. If I give you a tip at all. Y'all with me? But luckily, that day, I wasn't paying. So you can imagine the the look on my face when, in addition to the gratuity that is so conveniently added for you on your ticket, my dad pulled out a $20 bill, handed it to the young man and said, thank you for your service. Have a great day. What John learned was grace is getting what we don't deserve. You know your mess ups. You know how big you mess up. You know how often you mess up. But the grace of God gives you what you don't deserve. You don't deserve to be forgiven. You choose to do that same mess up day after day, don't you? You choose to think about those people that way, don't you? You choose to do all of that. You don't deserve to be forgiven. Let's be honest with ourselves. But friends, the good news is you don't get what you deserve. Instead, you get the grace of God. And that grace says you are forgiven. As God's people, when we hear that, what we also realize is not only are we forgiven, but that we are called then to be people who live into God's grace as well. So glory will get on me sometimes when I'm more than ready to leave a bigger check than maybe we can uh, tip than we can afford or maybe should leave. But I learned something that day, that we are called then as people who, have, who receive God's grace to then live Gracefully. Now, maybe that person you're thinking about doesn't deserve an I'm sorry. Maybe they don't deserve to hear how much you appreciate them. But isn't that what grace is? 
So, we need to pray. Because, first, God has been so graceful to us. And because God is calling us to live gracefully as well. And that can be really hard to do. But by the Spirit of God, it can be done. So to first lead us in our, in our time of prayer, what I've asked some of the ladies to do is to lead us in prayer through song. And, and they're going to sing, sing a prayer for us now. What I want you to do is they're not getting up to perform for you. They're getting up to lead you in prayer. So unless you're used to after praying, clapping after, after you pray, you don't have to clap when they're done. What I want you to think, what I want you to listen to are the words that they're going to sing for us and to make those words our prayer this morning.